0: Hi, everybody. You know, I was thinking about this. We always, always stress about and talk on this podcast about reaching for your dreams. You know, it's the old, if you can dream it, you can do it saying, never give up, never say die. But what if you can't do it? What does abandoning your dream really mean? I mean, when you realize that no matter how hard you've tried, how committed you've been, you keep coming up against constant obstacles. You concede, you know what? Just can't make a living doing what you wanted to do your whole life. Is letting that dream go almost like a death or can it be a birth of a new dream that brings you more success, more fun, more fulfillment than you ever imagined? My guest today was totally on his passion path. He had invested everything. I mean everything, college, dreams, effort into the music industry music industry, right? Competitive as hell. But nearly 10 years in, when he found himself as as sort of the proverbial piano man, only without Billy Joel's success, playing in bars every night of the week just to make enough to pay for groceries and rent, he stood up from the piano bench and he walked away from that dream. How then did he go from that heartbreaking decision to starting a t-shirt company with just 3000 bucks, and a short few years later was hauling in $250 million in revenues. Oh, and by the way, today has expanded sales to 190-plus countries. Are you ready for a true and classic but far from typical story of success? My guest today... Has it? He's Ryan Bartlett of True Classic, the t-shirt company that is expanding like nobody knows. It's going nuts. Ryan, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thank you so much for having me, Liz. Abandoning a dream. Mm Let's talk about that, because I've always been the one on this podcast to say, tune out, everybody. Don't believe what they say when you can't make it. You're never going to make it and just keep fighting. You actually had that dream of making it in the music industry, right?
1: I did. Yeah, it was a uh, it was one of those things where everybody tells you growing up like you got to follow your passion, you got to do what you're best at. And for some reason or another, I just had the gift of music. I would pick up an instrument and I would be able to learn it very quickly. And I got very good. And everyone just said, oh, you got to do that. That's your thing, right? You just got to go out there and make music forever and make a living. And then I tried to do it and it was very difficult. And uh, yeah, it turns out it's much easier said than done. Even if you have any kind of talent, doesn't mean you're going to necessarily make a living out of it.
0: That's almost with just about everything, though, what I find, because, you know, it it takes sometimes you're just up against a tsunami of no. And let me tell you what I sensed from your story that you really tried. I mean, you were years and years into this and then you find yourself playing in a piano bar. And how did you come to the realization? I got to let this go and move on. I just was
1: tired of being broke all the time. Like all my friends who were session musicians or engineers, they they just, no one had any money. Everyone that I went to school with was broke and in debt. And it was just, I was looking around at all my friends and I'm like, no one has made it. What is going on? And maybe it's a, a part of it is the, the times that we're in as far as the music industry is concerned. You know, mm-hmm. we're post Napster. So, you know, the money is very different. And so, you know, maybe it was partly that or just that we all had this dream that we thought we were going to do it for a living, but maybe we could just do it on our own private time and and have a different kind of job that can help support um, our potential families or or whatever we're striving for. And that was kind of the change that I had to make for myself was how old do I want to be still trying to make it as a session musician? So I basically went into my late 20s with it and decided, you know, enough's enough. I'm tired of living with three other dudes in a house in LA. Like I want my own place. I wanna be able to afford a family. And I'm in LA where it's gonna be insane to try to buy a house. So I'm gonna have to learn how to make money here. And I just can't rely on my skills as a musician to get me there. So that was really the transition.
0: Was there a point where you said, "I I can't afford to eat?
1: Absolutely. I mean, when I was living in Vegas, I was uh, I started out living in a utility closet, like an AV closet, Seriously? for two hundred dollars a month, and it was just large enough to fit a twin bed. So I would have to like blow it up every night. I would come home, I would have to like you know take ten minutes <laughs> oh. to blow it up. And and by the way I was dating a girl too. So you can imagine she's coming <laughs> back to my place and I'm like, "Hold on one second. <laughs> I needed 5 minutes to blow up my bed before we go into the closet and go to sleep." Yeah, that so, that's uh, that's what
0: we call coitus interruptus. Oh my god. Um yeah, what a turn on. Woo.
1: Yeah. Closet yeah, living. Was, uh, She was like, I have got to get you out of here. You know, it was like very clear that I was in the wrong place. But then I graduated to the garage, which was a huge upgrade, even though there's no AC in the garage. So by, you know, 8 a.m. in Vegas, I needed to be out of there or I would sweat to death. Um, So that was my transition from the closet to the garage. And then eventually I got my own place, which was nice.
0: And and there you are. You're tickling the ivories at at a bar in Los Angeles by then when you made this decision to abandon the, the music industry focus
1: yeah i was playing around all over la and uh, i was in like different groups and stuff and then i just one day and i by the way i had de- been developing uh computer science skills for quite some time before that so okay. it wasn't Smart. like i didn't have that skill set mm-hmm. but i just hadn't been leveraging it and and trying to monetize it in any way yet so i had to make that switch eventually and then very quickly from the day i decided to give it up to the day i decided to move to business Within a few months, I was already well on my way to making really good income because as soon as I made that change, it was like the light bulb went off and everything was ready to start working. And I had accumulated these skills over time. And by the way, it wasn't like music never played a part. Even today, it still plays a part in my ability to be super creative. Um, as a leader here in this organization, uh, not just on the marketing side, but the interpersonal skills and how you deal with people and how you're creative in those approaches or logistics or customer service, whatever it is, creativity really bleeds into everything we do in this company. So even though I'm not playing the piano here at True Classic, in a way I am. I'm still playing instruments and those instruments are thought related and they're just new angles to come at different projects or CRO initiatives or whatever it is. So- In a way, I I did develop those skills for a reason and I do see it as kind of a blessing to be able to uh, have that amount of creativity that I had been building all those years and not have it all go to waste.
0: I'm a big believer that you can always glean something from a job, even if it didn't work out. Uh, So clearly you had valuable skills and perspectives that carried over uh, first into a software business. But let's talk about the transition to apparel how did that come about so you know i knew i wanted to be so i built
1: an agency after the music thing died i built this agency over a decade so i had been i put basically put in my ten thousand hours before starting true classics so that's important for people to understand so that it doesn't seem like it was such an overnight success because i had been working a very long time before i started it good so I basically learned how to run e-com, I learned how to run businesses, I learned how to build them, where to spend the money, what to do, SEO, AdWords, Facebook, all that good stuff. I I honed my skills there. And then eventually what I started noticing was that most people just weren't doing a great job of servicing the customer. Whatever industry it was, I felt like everybody as a whole It was very rare for me to see a business to be like, wow, they just get it. They are just super customer centric. They get it all the way top to bottom. So I just felt like, you know, whatever I get into, I'm just going to outwork everybody. I'm going to try to do it better and and be more intentional about every move that I make for the customer to make sure they are having the best experience across the board. And then the t-shirt thing came about because I was, it it just happened very organically. I knew I wanted to get into e-com. I didn't know where I wanted to be yet, which space. Um, as far as products are concerned. But I did kept running into this issue of feeling like no one was being super intentional about the build of a shirt for men specifically. And I had seen some women brands do this before for for women, and it was very successful. So I just thought, why why is it everybody kind of neglecting men here and not being intentional about the fit and the price point? Like, why are people overcharging for premium? Why can't they charge somewhere in this area? which is kind of where we landed in like the the 14 to $16 a shirt range. And, you know, how do I solve that problem for them? So it was basically, I came at it from two problems, the fit and the price. Hmm. And then how do we, you know, uh, create an assortment that, that everybody likes. And so that's where it started. And then I built the idea in my head for about a year before I actually put it into digital form in terms of ip so like the website the logo the name everything i had to kind of build over about a year and then um and then so i it was a side project and i was like let me just launch this with a couple of skus see how it does but then i very quickly realized there's no way i could do this without bringing some
0: help on uh, yeah. and so that's when i got my partners right and so that was that was great branding in a crowded industry i mean building success when launching any new company requires a- Especially nowadays, something that sets you apart, a unique brand identity. What experiences before you started True Classic helped shape that vision you had for it?
1: You know, I see just about every product in the market right now underdoing it. And I just think I had mm. this overwhelming feeling like no matter what I went into, I was gonna even if it was completely commoditized already like plain shirts for example i just knew that there were places where people were not closing the gap like for instance customer service is a big one right like i think most people see customer service as kind of problematic and they have to outsource it and they have to you know uh get through it i see it as as an amazing opportunity to connect with people and most people just don't see it that way so there was just i was very underwhelmed by most markets in general and i just felt like when i looked at the t-shirt space it was just that right yeah, i didn't feel like they were serving their customers correctly i didn't feel like they were making the kind of creative that would that would really offer value up front to people versus just selling them something which is what everyone does so like how do i differentiate myself well i'm going to create better content i'm going to create content that makes you laugh. So it creates an emotional connection. And even if you don't buy it, at least you're going to remember us, right. Versus like the cool guy ad that everyone does on everything. So, and then how do I make a product that really makes you feel good when you put it on? And so if I can crack that nut, then I felt like I was really going to be onto something.
0: And I really want to ask you this because I, I want, and I'm sure our listeners are asking this of themselves. Wait a minute. Of all the things you pick to tackle, the T-shirt, okay, the fruit of the looms of the world, the yeah. Hanes of the world, they're huge in the space, not to mention a lot of other companies trying to do, I guess the term is elevated basics, right? Pieces yeah. that are highly versatile, but have modern design elements or silhouettes that kind of separate them from the pack. You picked that? I mean, I, I, I would imagine you hit some stumbling blocks in stepping, that you tried to turn into stepping stones.
1: For sure. I mean, my wife thought I was insane, by the way. I was like, she's like, so what's your product? I'm like, plain shirts. Have you heard of them? I'm thinking <laughs> about making them. And she just thought I was insane. But, you know, what What she didn't see at the time was that um, even if it was a shirt, I was going to go super narrow. And that's really the takeaway that people need to get from this, which is whatever you decide to do. Like, I didn't just decide to do plain shirts. I decided to make a shirt tight in the shoulders and arms and fit your body specifically so that it enhanced the way you looked. Mm. That is a very narrow category, right? And not only does it enhance the way you look, it's also going to be an affordable premium, not a 60, $70, super overpriced gouge the customer, uh, t-shirt, right? So if you go super narrow, like here's a great example, you know, there's a company called, um, magic spoon who puts out cereal, Right. And so how do you redo cereal? How do you make cereal better? Right. They're healthy, healthy, healthy. I've heard of them. And by the way, you also change the packaging. You change the way it looks compared to everyone else. So like Tesla is a great example. Like there's a lot of companies out there who are going deeper on the customer and really thinking about um, how they function in the world. And that's the differentiator. So like for every true classic, there's, you know, a lot of the plain brands that, that do it. But they're just not going narrow. They're going too wide. So if you come out and you're the gap and you do every category, then there's no way for the customer to really pin you to something and say, oh, that's the, the brand that does this, right? Or they do it really well. Whereas for True Classic, they know we're the shirt that fits you better than everybody else because we, we made it
0: that way, right? So we just went super intentional, essentially. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. You launched in 2019, one T-shirt, six colors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you, you didn't hire anybody. It was you and your partners. And it took you just two years to hit the first $100 million mark? Wow. Yeah, it was insane. I
1: mean, listen, there's a couple of things we had going for us. So number one- uh, Facebook is just a beast of a machine in terms of conversion modeling and their AI and everything that they have going on over there. I think people just don't understand how technologically advanced that system is and how many engineers run that program behind the curtain of Facebook, but it is a beast and there is just nothing like it. Well, well without for Facebook, what?
0: Advertising?
1: Yeah. For advertising ah. specifically. So we are probably, if I had to put a number on it, we're probably like a, you know, we probably get to, 10 to 15 million instead of 100 without Facebook. That's how impactful Facebook really? is. Really? In terms of, yes. Now, obviously, the caveat there is you have to have amazing content. You know, it's not going to polish your your terrible content and make it great. So you do have to have great content to start. But in terms of scalability, there's just nothing better in the world. And not even Google is even close to as good in terms of uh, new customer acquisition. So, you know, that was a big that was a big thing for us. Also, the other big thing that we had going for us was my partner, Matt, had a relationship with a manufacturer who gave us a credit line and a handshake deal and said, hey, you guys aren't gonna need to come out of pocket. Uh, There's not gonna gonna be any crazy MOQs, uh, minimum order quantities. Um, And that's why the $3,000 was really just for advertising and our first tech pack that we built. Tech pack is like, um, it's like the technical specs of the shirt of how you want it uh graded in size okay so that was where that three thousand came into place but without that guy again we're having to raise money we're having to you know invest hundreds of thousands of
0: dollars and we got lucky in that matt had that relationship ah you make your own luck okay so i want to know how it felt the minute that the site goes live advertising is out there and you get your first order
1: It was surreal. And we had those, you know, I I don't know if you know, but on Shopify, they have this little ching that comes off your your phone as like a notification when you get that sale. Uh And just to know that it worked on one sale was enough for me to be happy, honestly, (laughs) because you don't know. You put stuff out in the world and you don't know if it's going to work or not. And then- to just see it become overwhelming to where I'm getting these little register chings every (laughs) three to 10 seconds was just a game changer. And we were looking at each other like, what is going on? We're going to have to quit everything we're doing and focus on this because it's just starting to build on its own. And people, the word of mouth was building and the register was chinging and uh, it was all good. And it was, it was, you know, we were really onto something.
0: And once you get a, a, just a voluminous number of orders sometimes the problems pop up, right? You've got to fill those orders. You're starting to get returns. Talk about some of the issues that you faced where you thought, oh, wait a minute, it ain't this easy.
1: The biggest issues we've run into as a company have always been more logistical issues. Hmm. So like the second 3PL we ever used, which is now bankrupt, by the way, which it, it should come as no surprise considering the issues we had with them. Mm-hmm. But- um The 3PL that you choose-
0: Can you talk about, just tell our people what that means by 3PL?
1: Yeah. So it's basically a fulfillment center. And it's one of the most important pieces to um, e-commerce is you got to have a reliable fulfillment partner that is going to act on your behalf and make sure that they follow all the SLAs, like all the service level agreements, Mm -hmm. like for instance- you know, you get 100 orders in, it's going to take two days to get them out. And there's just different agreements that everyone needs to abide by and be on the same page about. And so, you know, they also like can't lose your your inventory. Like that's an obvious one, but mm-hmm. like that literally happens. Like it'll get ported in and then they'll just like lose a couple thousand units. Like, whoops, we don't know. We don't know what happened. <laughs> so we, oh we just ran into every issue you could early on with with 3PLs. Until we found uh, a company that was already doing it at scale, who we've been with ever since. And uh, it's been pretty amazing. But I would say, so that was one huge issue. Another one that almost sank the company at one point was we, you know, Matt and I are big gamblers. We just are. You know, I played poker for a living for a while. Matt played Pretty much for a living for a while him and i are big risk takers it's it's another reason we're we're successful here is because we just always bet on the upside and we always are pushing and pushing and in this particular instance we bet too big uh. on the inventory buy and we didn't have a demand planner at, at the time it was just basically a table full of dudes sitting there going <laughs> what do you think does this look good and, yeah that looks good to me okay Woo, high five <laughs> like like let's try to hit 50 million next year like we just had no idea so we were guessing And and we bet way on the upside. And then when the numbers don't net out and you're, you know, paying invoices, but not enough revenues coming in, then that money starts to dwindle very quickly. So you put yourself in a tough position where you have to go back to your vendors. You have to renegotiate. You have to make some raw deals in the short term to get out from underneath that debt. And luckily, you know, we brought in the right people. We brought in really smart people that are much smarter than us to help come in and figure this stuff out. And, uh, now we're in a much better place, obviously, but it was rough there for about a year and a half where, you know, we just, we didn't know how it was going to go because at any point the vendors can just say, listen, you owe us and you need to pay in full now. And we would have been screwed. We would have probably had to go raise money at a really sub, you know, optimal valuation, which would have not been good for us and diluted us. But, um, you know,
0: they worked with us and that's, that's what good partners do. And let's talk about expansion because you started off with a very small capsule of T-shirts and suddenly you're thinking, OK, now we need to do a little bit more. You don't want to do it too quickly, but you also want to maintain the genetics of this company, mm-hmm. which was to make it differently, you know, to softer, sto- softer quality T-shirts. And, and maybe for women, isn't that something that you think about?
1: hundred percent, it's the most important because again, it goes back to thinking about the customer and how to simplify the experience for them. So, like, for instance, the pants need to fit tight and they need to fit, well, not not always tight. We have different. We have a couple of different fits, but they all they need to fit similar to the t-shirts essentially, right? And the polos need to fit like the t-shirts. The dress shirts need to fit like the t-shirts. Everything needs to be fitted in some way, shape, or form to help you look better. That was kind of the general thesis. And so no matter what category of product we came out, It had to kind of check those boxes of fitting correctly for the customer, enhancing the way they look. And then so for women, you know, we've been developing now for uh, about four and a half months on a few silhouettes for women that we're going to unveil sometime in January. And uh, it's really exciting because, you know, I feel like um, we're really solving some real issues for women and I hope they love what we put out and we're surveying a lot of them. We're trying to get the most data possible and make the best decisions, but I'm not going to release it unless we're actually solving problems for women. Um, I'm not here to check the box and just say, Hey, we did women. Congratulations. Uh, It's like, no, they're, they, I want them to love it and really think this is a game changer for them. Just like we did for men. I'll be a product tester.
0: You got it. Um, I looked on your website and I thought these prices were really interesting. v 24 $24.99. A three-pack of comfort jeans works out. This is a three-pack to $68 yeah. a pair. How are you able to do that? Denims is so expensive these days. It is expensive.
1: And, you know, that price is definitely on the lower side in terms of what we make margin. But I also wanted to create something, specifically denim, um, I just felt like, again, a lot of the premium guys and I had bought all the premium denims. So I knew all of them very well. And I knew when I was creating my own, I was going to cut the price in half at least. Right. Cause most of these are like 120, 150, even two, you know, rag and bones, like over 200. Yep, yep. So I'm like, how do I get the page, the, the AG, the, um, you know, the rag and bone quality and then, and then, you know, except charge like a reasonable amount. To like the everyday guy who Mm -hmm. doesn't want to overpay for denim and that's what happened so that's why we landed somewhere in the 60s 70s um and obviously as you scale up the packs you get a bigger discount and so that's kind of how it is on every product we really try to look at who's doing it best in class how do we make it better and then how do we charge half the price but we still have pretty decent margins all things considered because with the volume it makes up for any kind of lack of margin
0: there. Fair enough. Uh, And to me, I'm always looking at a corporation or a company that can say they have a heart because I think good hearts equal good business. You guys, even in the early stages, worked on a give back initiative where you're able to make a bunch of donations of shirts. I mean, a bunch is an understatement. How many of you donated to the homeless now? Over half a million is what we have on the website, but I would
1: guess that it's over a million at this point. Not only the shirts, though, we give everything. We give, like, we have so many organizations that contact us now because I've been putting out to the world that we're one of those companies that really will go to bat and we have the resources. Like, we will just help. If you need, you know, toiletries, if there's a, a natural disaster somewhere in the US and there's a tornado and everyone needs toiletries, we will be the guys to send them. It's fine, it doesn't have to be t shirts. So, you know, in the early days, we helped build houses for homeless veterans. Um, and, and, you know, my family's involved in a charity down in Savannah, which which does this. So I got linked up with them and we funded a, a bunch of their housing down there and even some actual houses, not just the tiny houses that we help build. But um, so we're really open to any kind of initiatives that help people, even outside of just T-shirts. But yes, T-shirts obviously are our main thing that we give away. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we're, we're completely open to what
0: people need, essentially. Good for you. It's like Bombas gives away a lot of socks. I, I've always thought to myself, I'll, I'll be a patron of a company like that. I like what they are doing. I think what you're doing is incredible. Fear. As we kind of wrap this up, uh, people get scared. They're launching a business. Suddenly, as you say, maybe you make a mistake. You order too much inventory, can't sell it. Then you can't pay your vendors or your fulfillment center, whatever it may be. Talk to people about how you overcame the fear beyond your gutsy, I'm a poker player kind of exterior. I
1: think what we ultimately have is just a lot of confidence in our ability to deal with people. I think at the end of the day, if you're a good human and you do right by people, Mm -hmm. people will ultimately do right by you. I think the perfect example of this was my parents growing up, they put themselves in a big hole as well. It's weird how this played out with me because it's very reminiscent of how my parents' business, um, you know, when they were young and they got married, they inherited uh, this this terrible business of selling modular homes, and they way over-inventoried. This was in Michigan too, and so they they got way too much inventory. They weren't selling through it, and they almost bankrupted themselves. But the only way they made it out was because of their relationships with human beings in that town, oh. and it was a very small town. It was only twenty thousand people, Cadillac, Michigan. It's like northern Michigan. So they the banks in that town saved my parents business and they they did these terrible deals but they were at least they were willing to work with them and get them out of debt and my parents worked through it got out of debt and then made a very nice life for themselves thereafter so one thing i just learned through my parents and growing up was that if you treat everyone around you well the world will come to you and they will give you good karma ultimately so i think i just had that confidence in myself that look yes it's bad yes They could, um, you know, at any point, just come and tell us we have to pay up and we'll figure it out. But like, we're just we're really good at working with different humans, especially on the vendor side. We give so much value to them. And I think they also saw the opportunity, you know, that we were they were going to make a lot of money from us long term. So it was better not to sever ties with us, even if it didn't look great on the surface at the time. Mm. So to answer your question, I think that ultimately, you know, people will work with you. Even if you put yourself in a bad situation, if you're good to them and you promise them business in the future, and that as long as you get through this, they will be with you for the long haul. There's no way they're going to turn their back on you, provided that they believe you, right? Like they really had confidence in us. Like we had confidence in dealing with them to work out these problems. And that helped alleviate a lot of the fear that I initially had.
0: Final question. You still playing the piano?
1: I am, but to an audience of uh, four people, my three kids and my <laughs>
0: wife. So,
1: and they're usually not even paying attention. They're usually like in the other room and I'm just like by myself learning learning a new song or something. But Hey, I'm, I'm learning too.
0: I just started bass guitar lessons. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I don't know. Bass. I just, uh, listen, instrument. you make music, right? It's really important in the world with all the craziness that we have. Ryan, you, my friend, are a true classic. I love how you... Had to make a challenging decision to to move away from one dream, but start something else. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Guys, that is an important note he just made at the end. Be a human being, be a good person, and people will ultimately— help propel you along your road as long as you're going to work as hard as they do. Oh, by the way, let's not forget what he said. He outworked everybody. Our thanks to Ryan and always thank you so much, you guys, for tuning in. You know how much it means to me. I so appreciate every single one of you, whether you're in the car or sitting by the pool or hanging out or working at the same time and you're listening. I love you for that. Thank you so much. I'll see you 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday on The Claim and Countdown. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.